I don't know a men or women's team that I can think of in an international competition under that kind of pressure where you need to get something out of the game yeah. that lasted 60 minutes, two players down. Mm-hmm. I can't think of a game. And we got to penalties and we lost in penalties. Mm-hmm. But I walk away going, probably our best job coaching that we've done with Never them, done. you know, and I'm feeling good. I tell you that only because at that time then, since we lost, then the press has turned on me. The Nigerian public has turned on me. Now the worst coach ever. I mean, like, I'm just getting obliterated in the media. And I always protected the Federation. I never spoke out. There were a lot of things that went on. I'm not to get into all of that with you now. I'm telling you that just to go how quickly things change from probably being the most hated man in Nigeria to now all of a sudden, it's completely changed yeah. the World Cup. Mm-hmm. The media's now behind you. you got to keep this guy. He should be coaching our men's team because mm-hmm. the men's team didn't make the World Cup. <laughs> you know, I might consider it. Yeah, yeah I might consider it. Uh, everything completely changed. And it was all from the work we did in the World Cup. So that's probably what I'm, I'm most proud of. Welcome, footy family, to the 2024 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Anaheim. We're here recording from Media Row in the Exhibitor Hall and are looking forward to another year of insightful discussions with some of the top football people in the world. And our first guest definitely fits that description. Joining us is Randy Waldron, the current head coach for Pitt Women's Soccer, and recently led the Nigeria Women's National Team to the round of 16 in the 23 FIFA Women's World Cup. His impressive career also includes stints at Notre Dame, Trinidad and Tobago Women's National Team, Houston Dash in the NWSL, and much more. Coach, it's an honor to have you. All right. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Yeah. So we have uh, some connections. Um, Our college coach is a good friend of yours, old Butch Lawford. Butch Lawford, that's right. The man. Let, yeah. Let's start there. Tell hey. us about old Bucho growing well, up. Butch owns Canyon, Texas, doesn't he? I mean, yeah, uh, he, he does. He's, <laughs> he's the legend there. Uh, Butch and I grew up playing against each other as youth players. He's a little bit younger than I am, but, you know, we played against each other. So we've known each other, gosh, almost all of our lives, especially all of our coaching lives. And we got involved with U.S. soccer being instructors for the National Coaching School. So we've done many coaching courses where we taught together. Um, and, and just a long time, lifetime friendship, you yeah. know, we stay in touch regularly and check in on each other and see how they're doing. I think he's a great coach. Uh, I've learned a lot from him and I hope he's learned a few things from me. And we did, we worked in Trinidad together a little bit, a few times, and, uh, obviously he's done an amazing job at West Texas and many people may not remember, but he actually d- did both of the programs. Yeah. When he started at West Texas, so he kind of built. My he freshman kind of, year, he was still the women's coach. That's right, and he was successful with the women's side too, you know. And so he's he's uh, been very successful at every level, and uh, one of the best coaches out there. So yeah, yeah, it's it's a, it, it's great. I didn't realize that till I got here yeah. that you guys had played there for him. So it's a small world that we live in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's like the reoccurring thing with Butch going to these things that I've known is just he knows everybody. Yeah, everybody knows him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, Somehow, someway. He's very connected. That's mm-hmm. Right. But that's what these events are for. It's great to, you know, just come out here and, and network and yeah. connect with different people. And, you know, this is probably the only chance you get to, like, shake hands and rub shoulders with yeah. people from around the world and oh, yeah. at different levels. And, you know, I would have the opportunity to sit down and, and talk to you, except for yeah, at, a, at a place like this. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, no, really no, awesome. no question about it. I mean, there's thousands of people here and ran across Niall Quinn walking down the hall today. I mean, like, there's... 
Inter- I saw a, a group of coaches from Cameroon, you know, that are here. And I mean, coaches from all over the world are coming in. And, and it, like you said, it's a great place just to reconnect. And some of these people I don't get to see until the convention every year. Yeah. So I look for, forward to that just to get to see old friends. And, uh, you know, the only thing about it is I, many years ago, you know, I would come to the convention and I'm one of the young coaches up and coming. And, you know, I looked up to so many different people and it's, it's all of a sudden I woke up one day and came to the convention. I said, I said, I'm the old guy now. I, I all these young, like you guys, all these young coaches now You're still young, Randy. for themselves still young. And, and I'm the old guy. Yeah. 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 Well, I appreciate that. And I know you have to say that cause I paid you. So that's all right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so last night you delivered a session, field session for all the attendees here. Uh, I had the pleasure of sitting down and watching that front and center, first row, you know, a student right here. Good deal. Uh, No, but I really wanted to just sit down and and listen to that because it was a unique topic. Um, Specifically, it was preparing for the group of death, uh, building your defensive block. Yeah. So, you you essentially explained to us how you prepared for the tournament training wise um, and, and kind of the adjustments you made game to game and and how you're looking to spend your time leading up to the tournament so you know you mentioned um that you only had 10 days to prepare which which is 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 tough to deal with but maybe not so uncommon because a lot of international managers you know you have to get in and and try to implement something to to get results because arguably you have more pressure to get results at that level than yeah than the club level even so yeah i guess i just wanted to start by you know you explaining to us how you kind of shaped uh your your design for your training you know those 10 days and 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 how that looked and what went into that thought process yeah well let me take a step back and just for the coaches out there listening you know the international coaching so much different than club coaching whether it's pro college whatever because you have those players every day of every you know the week yeah and international coaching you only get your players during an international break you know a window and you usually get 10 days at a time and you're usually playing two games in those 10 days so if you think about it like for us for example when we go into a camp then we may be in camp 10 days but we may have two matches so our players are coming from europe for example so the first couple of days you're just doing recovery training you know they just got off 16 hour flight and so you can't really train. And now you've hopped into a game, you know, the next day after the game's the recovery day again. So you really only get a couple of days out of the 10 to train and prepare. So it's, it's a whole different animal, um, making use of your time and preparing kind of a game model and how you want to play. Cause you just don't have the training time that you have with a club. So having said that, I think honestly, a little bit where my years of college coaching may have helped me at the world cup is we were supposed to have a five-week camp in Nigeria and then go for another two weeks in Australia. Well, it got canceled. A whole different story for a lot of reasons, but issues that we were having with the Federation, they canceled the five weeks. So as you mentioned, we had 10 days. So we all went directly to Australia and met up there. And we had 10 days before we opened with Canada. So I think where the college part may have helped me is I said, well, you know what? It's a college preseason. You know, our college preseasons are only 10, 12 days. Yeah, two weeks. And um, it's kind of like I just got to pick a couple of things that I think is going to be most important. So my mindset going in was we were in the group of death. You know, uh, Canada was the Olympic defending Olympic gold medalist. You know, Australia was the host nation. Ireland was, I think, first time debutants in the tournament, but ranked 21st in the world. And I think we came in ranked like 42nd or 41st in the world. So 
honestly, with 10 days of preparation going into it, I felt like we're going to be hard pressed to win a game. Maybe we get something out of Ireland. I never would say that to my team, but obviously as a coach, you know, you, you're realistic, realistic in knowing what you're up against. And so what I did is I picked two themes, really. I said, we're not going to have much of the ball because we don't have time to prepare our team offensively to build out and keep it and, you know, our player movement. So I just said, we've got to be really good defensively. And so that's when I decided to implement this defensive block with them. And we just really drilled that over the 10 days. And then I said, the second thing is the only chances we're going to get are going to come off of counterattacks, you know, not through build-up play. So those two themes I took through those 10 days, and I'll show it in my classroom session on Saturday, but you'll see the actual practices that we did. I threw in a day or two here or there of just some possession because players – don't want to spend 10 days defending, right? You want to play. That was, a, that was definitely so we, a butch staple at yeah, WT. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we had to do a little bit, you know, to break the, the ice a few days of some possessional uh, things. But basically the theme for the 10 days was, to, you know, transition, counterattacking, and, uh, and and defending. So that's that's kind of the mindset going into it. And we really didn't look at Australia and Ireland because I put everything into Canada. And the reason my logic on it was I said – Going in, in my mind, I'm thinking it's highly unlikely. I think Canada were ranked seventh in the world. I think Australia was ranked tenth in the world, but they're the host nation. And I said, I, ideally, we're probably not going to get a result against Australia. We had played Canada the February before in two friendlies, and we had lost 2-0 and, and drew 2-2 uh, with them in the second game. So I said, I think we can potentially get a result out of Ireland. So if we could get even a point out of Canada, even if we lost to Australia, if we could get three out of Ireland, then maybe four so could some get us through. Yeah. So that was kind of the mindset. So the 10 days, all the focus was on Canada because if we didn't get a point out of Canada, it was like, you have to get something out of Australia and you have to get something out of Ireland. And we thought that was going to be difficult. So I didn't really talk about the other two teams in the group. We went in 10 days, focused on getting something out of Canada. And, and you considered them the, the, the top team in the group? I, I thought between them and Australia, I thought even though ranking Canada was higher, even though they were the gold medalists, Australia was really in good form. They had just come off of some, some friendlies where they had knocked off England, and they were just playing really well. I think they were at the time at, home, as, at yeah. home. I thought they were playing the better football at the time than Canada, but I knew Canada was really good, and I knew we weren't going to have the ball much. So the focus was on on Canada, getting something out of Canada, and fortunately we we got a point, you know, out of it. Yeah, Evan and I actually saw Canada play like pitch side against the, the women, the U.S. women's, yeah, uh, mm -hmm. in the Gold Cup final from years ago, and. I mean, and and we also watched the semifinal right before that. I think it was Jamaica and I forgot who it was. Another Caribbean can't remember. Team, but yeah, you but we see were the difference in the level. Yeah. Oh yeah, third place, not the semifinal. Right, sorry, third mm -hmm. place game to the final. Like, yeah, night and day. It is. It was so fast. Yeah. Like, wow. This is. I mean, women's soccer is. It's yeah. A good, it's a good level. And a good. The speed of the game, especially at that level with the top teams, is mm -hmm. is very high. Yeah. You know, it's it's not the men's game, but it's yeah. still very very high. For sure. And it has probably surprised you because if you don't really follow it all the time, yeah. you you you're amazed at those players. Even being in a collegiate program at a at a good program and playing at a high level, 
you know, it's still a big step up to the yeah, international level for sure. those top team. And even in that Canada game that we watched, we noticed a couple of players that were really good. I think one of them was Fleming. Yeah. Another one, and we looked up like, oh, where do they play at? Like what team? And like, they're still like sophomores in college. Yeah. At the time. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And of course, Fleming went on and she's with, played with Chelsea. Yep. Yep. And, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, they've got, they, 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 they got a special team and, and, uh, the hard part was we just, like I said, we knew we weren't going to have the ball much, so we had to be very good and clinical with, with um, our counters, And but we had to hang on. And, you know, we kind of, honestly, we grew into the tournament because yeah. if you watch the Canada game, as I showed in my presentation last night to the coaches, our line of confrontation to, to, to meet them was supposed to be at the top of the circle. Right. That's where we wanted to start our block. But right away in the game... That was at midfield. And then five, ten minutes into the game, we were defending back, from the bottom back, back. of our circle. And it was just like we were hanging on. The first 20 minutes, they were all over us. And we were just kind of hanging on. And then we got a couple of counters where we got a decent look. And we had one counter. We had great counter and some good combination play at the top of the box. You know, hit a shot that the keeper has to make a really good save on. And you start to – and you guys have known that. You know, you've yeah. been in games where mm-hmm. you, you kind of – probably weren't the, the team expected to win or the best team, but you kind of grew into it. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did with Canada. As, as the minutes went by, we just grew more and more into the game. And, uh, you know, we got into the second half, and, and many people may remember, but um, five or six minutes, I believe, into the second half, we fouled uh, Sinclair in the box, so they got a penalty. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, as a coach on the sideline, I'm thinking, we've played – 50 minutes so well defensively and not conceded any really, really good looks. And now we're going to give away a penalty. And in your mind, you're thinking it's going to be hard to get back, you know, because we just don't, didn't create enough chances offensively. And of course our keeper, uh, Chamaka Inundozi made, made a big save on Sinclair. Yep. And then it was yeah, almost yeah. instantaneously. You saw it just lifts everybody. It lifted everybody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, fortunately we finished the game out and, you know, didn't get didn't get three, but we got the point, which was absolutely crucial for us. So that was Canada, you said. That was Canada. And that was game one. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's kind of just set that up real quick. So you talked about last night your your main ideas, your main principles that you wanted to see from the team. Yeah. And you know, not not anything too uh, too complex or, right. or or nothing that you know most coaches haven't heard before. Right. You wanted to be super compact. You know, let you said meet them at a certain line, allow yeah. anything sideways right. behind that line yeah. um and 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 wait to engage them once they cross the line right any back pass step up push the lines um and and you know when the ball goes wide to show them to the touchline yeah. basic principles defensively right um but just wanted them to be super patient and and organized in the way yeah. that they defended together yeah and then once they got the ball to counter quickly you know to get behind you mentioned you wanted to see like a, a, a almost a six second rule where yep. you know you're getting behind within six seconds if you lost the ball in that transition moment to continue to press right in that moment and, right and you said to when you attack to attack hard right, right. so you have these ideas the ways that you want to play but obviously the game presents different situations yeah and different problems yeah and i think you know Definitely not so much at, at the international level. Managers are a lot more savvy, but kind of like getting up to that level. I think a lot of times managers really struggle to make adjustments. Right. And so you talked about game to game, like the adjustments that you made. Right. Um, particularly in that first game against Canada, you said you noticed that the two sixes would drop down to the line of confrontation. Right. 
and just to see how your midfielders would deal with it. Yeah. So why don't you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, you know, so in our in our block structure, we basically kept, we were playing out of a 4-3-3, so we, we basically kept our three forwards at the line of the confrontation, and we told them to play within the width of the penalty box, you know, so they're nice and tight and kind of concede a little bit of space on the flanks yeah. and almost entice them to play wide and then try to trap the ball there, you know, with our wingers. And our three midfield players then would sit in midfield, and we wanted our two attacking mids to deal with their two holding midfielders because we had noticed in all of our analysis uh, everything Canada did offensively, their play was set by their four backs and the two holding midfield players. So about 85% of, of the way they played went through those two holding midfield players, you know, just in moving the ball side to side and playing in, playing back, now to get forward, that kind of thing. So we knew we had to take them out of the game. And in the structure where you have your front three and then you have your back four and your midfield three kind of in the middle of the block dealing with their midfielders, mm -hmm. As the game went on and those mid, their midfield couldn't get the ball the way they wanted it with the time they wanted, they did a couple of different things. And, and, and one of those was those two midfield players dropped back in front of our forwards in the line of confrontation. So we had to make sure our midfielders understood, don't sit in as the three and not really have a player to deal with for our two attacking mids to go ahead and move up to the line of confrontation. So now, in essence, we had five across yeah. <laughs> instead of three. And then if the if their two holding wanted to go back closer to the center backs to get the ball, we were okay with that because it was still in front of us, right? Yeah. We, we we were okay with them having the ball yeah. in front. But we wanted our two attacking mids on that front line. That line was still at the top of the center circle. Still at the top of the center circle, yeah. yeah. So then we had just one holding mid. So the thing we had to talk about at halftime was uh, with our – because, again – we didn't have so much time to work on this, right? Yeah. So then what was happening is is uh, Fleming, mm -hmm. who you mentioned earlier, would drift out kind of wide away from their nine. Sinclair was playing mm -hmm. in the nine, so she was the attacking mid in front of their two holdings. So she would not stay central. She started to drift out wide to the outside backs. So we at halftime, we kind of had to adjust and get our center backs to understand if they now – if our holding mid – could slide to that side if the ball was coming out her side, mm. she could slide over and deal with her. Mm. But if 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 the ball was on the opposite side and Fleming went wide, yeah. then there was no way the center midfield mm. player was going to get across. So our center back had to step into okay. that space. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So we had to we had to talk about how to deal with that player so she wouldn't get it free. Because when you do play a tight defensive block, the objective is uh not to give them, you know, not to give them much space between the lines. You want everything tight. So yeah. if they do play in the block, you can kind of collapse and press the ball. And if she's pulling wide and the, and the two sixes are dropping down, they're trying to open up that lane to play straight into the nine. Exactly. So, exactly. How did you, how did you well, we would have one center back would step on. So if the nine dropped off the back line and into midfield, we'd have a center back okay. step. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, and then the thing we emphasize is anytime the ball got played in the middle of the block, that forwards as well as midfielders, if they played behind you, had to turn and press the ball. It's immediately. So, so even, for example, if that nine dropped off, you know, to, in the midfield to get it and a center back step, mm -hmm. then we still needed the midfielder in front to turn and double back, you know. Mm -hmm. So you're always trying to double the ball yeah. inside that block. Just as make it difficult even if so she does get the ball. These are, and you know what, this is different, and I'm glad you brought that up because it's quite different than, for example, in the college game. In my experience in 30 plus years, now again, I'm, been mostly on the women's side and so yeah. maybe a little bit different than the men's game but 
most coaches have a formation and a style and, and, and a game plan for lack of a better word, but no matter what's going on in the game, they just stay with that. Yeah. Like the only adjustment they, they make is just any, a sub. That's it. Yeah. 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 Just mm-hmm. do subs. You don't see many tactical, yeah. hey, I'll move this player five yards inside or I'll play this player a little higher. Play off of this shoulder, you know. They, yeah. Mm-hmm. They don't. They, this passing lane. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So you don't see that much. And so getting our players to understand and, and, and recognize these moments. Now, the good thing is a lot of our players at, at Nigeria, the top our top players are playing in Europe. Mm-hmm. for decent clubs. Yeah. So they have a fairly good background. Our Nigerians that come from Nigeria in the leagues there are very naive because it's the coaching's not as good and the organization's not as good. So um, the hard part, even with Canada, and, and, and if I'm being honest, we got away with it a few times where we dodged some bullets, but we were still at times getting caught, for example, if the ball came out their right, their right side, uh, our left side, you know, and we shift everything over in the block. Sometimes our right back, would squeeze too far in instead of passing her on yeah. to the center back and they would slip <laughs> their outside back into that space. And a lot of times they got the ball in that wide area with unmarked and we were just fortunate we could deal with the cross or whatever, but <laughs> it, it just wasn't enough time, you know, to, to iron out all the kinks in it. <laughs> and so, uh, but I thought overall, when you look at the big picture of it, <laughs> considering it, the, the girls really did a great job. So sure. came out with a draw in that game. Yep. That's a, I mean, that's positive. Yeah. Against a team like Canada in the first game. Exactly. Need a point. No, 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 definitely. And, and the fact that they were the defending gold medalists and all those things is like, hey, we, our players needed to know and have confidence that we can play with anybody, you know? Exactly. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. I think the concept of turning the double down on the ball from the midfield is when you heard, when you said that last night, you know, that it registered to me because that's something that I, I coach a lot. And yeah. For, you know, players that I coach, a good level, but you know, they're right. younger kids, they're right? Kids, you know, in their high school ages. Uh, that's a concept they've never heard. It's yeah, really, I've never heard it coached either. Yeah, and I'm like, this is this to me is a situation where you can you can press very effectively, you right? Know? And that's not often talked about as an actual pressing yeah. pressing trigger, right? You know, when your line gets broken, just right? Immediately turning and double down, double doubling down behind exactly. you, exactly. Right? But yeah, no, yeah. and and. I guess I wanted to ask, like, did you see did you see success in those situations during that game? I, I think we saw it at times, you yeah. know, and like I said, there were times we got a little bit lucky because we didn't do it right, and they broke us, you know, in a press. Because no matter how you structure yourself defensively, whether you're playing in a block or you just drop deep and, you know, play at the top of the 18 and then try to hold teams out, good teams will always break you down. There's yeah, going to be opportunities. That Something's going to happen. But I thought overall – for the most part, considering the few days we had to prepare for them, uh, I thought we did a, a decent job. And we got better at it as the tournament went on. Yeah, because you really have to make sure the line, like the you know, the lines between, uh, the space between the horizontal lines right. are very compact, right? Because right? if you're too stretched, it's hard to get yeah. back. Well, and, I, I, and not to interrupt you, but I had a coach stay, a couple of coaches stayed after the session and yeah. asked me the question. And one was really concerned because I said, the distance between the back line and the front line is 24 yards. Right. It's very tight in there. And they're like, aren't you concerned? Worried about it. That, you know, that they can play over. And you said, well, number one, you've got a goalkeeper that's going to play off their line now to help deal with some of that space behind. And if you drop your line a little bit lower, then there's not as much space behind. Because in football, defensively, that's what you're trying to do is protect the space behind you, right? Mm-hmm. They, they, they can't hurt you in front of you, but... Yeah. It's all about space, right? So, and I said that, and they go, well, you know, they, they were worried. And I said, 
they said, well, what about just dropping your back line a little bit deeper and increasing that gap? I said, if you do that, now you're opening up the space between play. your front yeah, line and your yeah. back. And now they're going to play through midfield yeah. and you'll never get the ball. Yeah. Right. So we congest the area. And when we congest the area, we know they can't play through that area. Now we know the only way to break us is to play behind. Mm -hmm. So now it's just teaching your players how to drop and read long mm -hmm. service yeah. and being prepared for that. Yeah. So, and she was like, oh, I, I never thought about that. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Because, I mean, you, you, you hope that your defenders can, can win a foot race. Exactly. you got to be ready for the race. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And if you're reading service, even if you have a player that's not quite as fast, but if their their mental speed is, is fast, yeah. you know, their soccer Positioning good, and everything, yeah. Then, then they can get to those balls. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Usually they're going to have a slight advantage in that, in yeah. that race anyway. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, good. Okay. So then second game was Australia. And that was the... The Matildas. Yeah, the yeah. two biggest games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was huge. I I really went into it, and I felt really good coming off the game. The girls felt great. What was that um? Result. Sorry to interrupt. What was Australia's result in their first game? Of Australia that? had beaten Ireland. Um, trying to remember the. I remember score. if it was comfortably or not. Yeah, I can't remember what okay. the score. I, I'm okay. sorry, I can't remember the score. But yeah, they had they had beaten uh, they had beaten Ireland. I think it maybe only been by a goal or so. Okay. I okay. think it was Nothing relatively close. I, yeah. I, I know they only mm. beat Canada two one. Australia did, but our, mm. our uh, Canada only beat Ireland two one. But I can't remember that, that okay. score. Yeah. But so we knew going in, um, the the difference of the two teams was Canada was more build up possession based, use their you know their abilities to to break you down by their their game model, their their possession football. Um, Australia was a little bit more direct. You know, they, they, they might swing the ball around the back a little bit, but they're swinging it to move you so they can play direct behind mm -hmm. you. They, they yep. played out a more traditional 4-4-2. Mm -hmm. So they would push in attack. They push their two outside backs into midfield and their two wide midfielders up front. So it's almost like a 2-4-4 against you. And then they would just knock long balls because their outside mids were really fast. And I was very concerned about mm -hmm. that. Then we also didn't know if Sam Sam Kerr had picked up an injury. So we didn't know if she was going to play or not because it was kind of like they may hold her out, they may not, she may be able to play. But even Caitlin Ford up front had a lot of pace. So yeah. we we're really worried about their pace and being able to exploit us, especially uh, you know if the game got too open. So what we decided to do going into that game, now again, Mind you, as coaches, I think we always, behind the scenes, we're realistic and we know what we have and we know what we're playing. So that's when we come up with our game plan. In front of the players, it's always, we can get a result. We can, you know, we can win. And you keep building their belief. And the players really felt, almost felt like a win after the 1-1 the, the one -one result, uh, the 0-0 result with Canada, right? So they were in a really good place mentally. And so we just tried to build on that mentally with them but what we decided to do is, is say let's let's just tweak the block a little bit so instead of three up front in the block let's play let's designate one attacking mid as you're always going to be up front with the nine so we played four across the front okay and then since they had two holding mids then it gave us two holding mids to set in the midfield of the block so we almost, our block then became almost like a 4-2-4 block. Okay, so we gotcha, yeah, yeah. So we just pretty mm -hmm. much had them matched up. So did, did, is that something that you 
determined based on film analysis prior to the game or adjustments during the game? No, no. We we, we did this before. All of our match analysis before. So you didn't anticipate them coming out any differently? We we didn't. We thought like every game, they like I said, they just come off prior to the World Cup, coming off some big wins against England. They were rolling. Mm-hmm. said they're, they're not going to change for yeah. us. You know, there was no need to. So, and they'd already gotten a win, I think, and um, in the first match. So it was it was one of those that uh, we said that we tweaked the block just a little bit. And even though the block is still zonal in the block, it, it formation-wise, it matches up to their formation a little bit better. And then what we said is, since we don't want them getting behind us, let's drop the block deeper. So instead of top of the circle, our line of confrontation started at midfield. Yeah. And we just said anything in their half when they clearly have it, just let them have it. Mm. Let them bring it. And now we killed more space behind us that they really couldn't play over the top as well. And um, so that was the mindset going into it and the tactical plan that we had. And it really didn't alter too much. Um, there weren't too many things that happened in the game that you said, oh, we got we to gotta tweak this or we got to make this adjustment. I do think at times – It kind of played out how you expected it. It, it did. And I think what, what happened, though, what didn't play out the way I expected is we – had a little bit more of the ball than I expected, and we created more chances than I expected. So the game at times got a little bit more open than I wanted it to get because we got made you nervous. It made me nervous, so we got more (laughs) adventurous. But what what had happened in that match is, you know, every game I think has tipping points, key moments in it, and we see it in every sport. Like, you know, a a a football team, American football team's getting dominated and – Turnover and all happens. of a sudden, there's a turnover, mm-hmm. and now the momentum changes, right? Yep. Well, the same in, in our football. I think there's key moments that changes things, and the key moment for us against Canada was saving the penalty kick mm-hmm. against Sinclair. Then it, we we were much better the last half hour of the game, right? And so in this game, what had happened is we had played really well. We're really secured defensively, and this is where coaches have to understand details mattered. But we had we had a goal kick. Our goal kick. And again, mind you, like I said, we didn't have time to teach our team how to build out and keep it and play the way Pep plays or whatever, yeah, yeah. you know, bow <laughs> in the back. So we just came in with the idea every goal kick, we're just going to hit it long, right? Squeeze our team over to one side, play into that block and try to win it and pick up a second Don't ball. Mess about with it. Don't mess about, right? We didn't want to give them an opportunity. And what happened when we did it on the goal kick, about five minutes before the end of the game, we had a goal kick and our right back stepped too high up in that block when we'd squeezed over to one side of the field we hit it to that side but she had stepped too high up they won the first header and it goes behind her into the winger that got behind they got in they got across and now they score a goal so with about five minutes left and it was like you know it's it's so devastating five minutes before the end of the half you know they say those are the most dangerous times five minutes before and five minutes after halftime and i'm thinking we've been so good and even created good chances. We've played so well. Now here we go. We get up a goal, right? And um, but as fate would have it, uh, they had a goal kick, and added time. Yep. In the half, we win the first ball. We win the second ball. We pick it up, play wide, and get across in. And uh, Uchenna Kanu scores a game time goal. So that changed everything going into halftime. Because now we didn't concede late, yeah. and now you're down one, and you're deflated. Now all of a sudden it's, yeah, we're 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 rocking. We score, you're right. on a high. Yeah, we're yeah. on a high, and we came back. We responded the way you want to respond, and then 
guys, I don't know. Even, I don't even know how to explain it. But the second half, we were just very clinical. We got more of the game. We ended up getting a goal off a corner kick, a set piece. Um, so now all of a sudden we go up 2-1. <laughs> and then I think it was within four or five minutes, somewhere from our second goal, we get a great third goal from Ashwala. And now all of a sudden I'm looking at my assistant coach. Like, what, are we, what are we doing here? And I'm going, <laughs> well, there's 18 minutes left in the game. And I go, Kyle. The hell are we up three one? You know, <laughs> in this game, and and we're winning now. It's like mm-hmm. we can we can win this. You know, we yeah. can we can ride this out, and and you know, it, it, and we did. We got through the final. You know, into ninety minutes, and they added eleven minutes of extra time. Gotta I can tell it. you, the eleven minutes felt like another An forty hour. another forty five minute half, and they were just bombarding us and throwing everything forward. So we did make a few changes. Uh, with some defensive players getting trying to get a little bit more defensive, you know, taking a forward off and getting another back in. And we finished out playing with five backs and, you know, only one up front because we didn't need the goal, you know, we had a two-goal lead. Yeah. And luckily, I'll, I'll, I will say this, luckily of the 11 minutes of added time, they did score a second goal, but they scored it in the 10th minute of the 11th. And I'm almost fearful sitting here today if they would have scored the first minute or two with the 11 minutes. Yeah. They may would have been a different third, story. Because mm-hmm. they would come, they battered us the last yeah. the last 11 minutes and, and we hung on and, you know, got out of there with the win. So now everything has changed because we have a chance to win the group yeah. now, right? Yeah. Now we're in the driver's seat. We're ahead of. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. We're top of the group after the second game. At this point, you you got you got. Uh, Four points out of six yep. in your two hardest games. That's right. You That's know. right. So you're going into the third game. Uh, it's against Ireland. Right. Which, uh, tell us about them. What's the, I, I don't know much about Yeah, them. well, they, they got a couple of really special players. They've got a girl that, ironically, I drafted when I was at the Houston Dash, uh, a player named Denise O'Sullivan. Okay. And uh, she played she, with the Dash. Number she Florida years. State? Uh, no, no, okay, she's okay. an Irish kid, okay. and um, we brought her over from Ireland. Mm. She played with us for four or five years, and then she was traded. She plays for the Courage now in North okay, Carolina, okay. Uh, but she was a really good, crafty little midfield player. Then they had a girl named Sarah McCabe uh, that's kind of a wide player for them, and she was their everything. She's an ar- Arsenal player, so we really worried about those two players, but we kind of thought the rest of the players were just – they were just a good team, a yeah. solid team, but th- that was kind of their two – they're two stars, but the thing we had to be careful of is we were we were at the top of the group, but we could have also not not even got out of the group. Mm. If we lost to Ireland, we wouldn't get out, right? So depending on the Australia-Canada result and our result, like we could have gone from being knocked out altogether or we could get in and win it, the group, or we could finish in second. So what they did on that third game is they had both games played at the same time. Same time. So we got to have radio connections mm-hmm. to the other game to know what's going oh, on. Exactly. How they do that. Yeah. I've always wondered. So there's literally someone just on the bench that oh, yeah. has it in the whole time. Okay. Yeah, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. We got headsets, so we're talking to our people up in the stands, and our people in the stands are letting us know what's going on in the other game. So we really, 
we we played. So you were making adjustments not only for your game, but also relative to the other game that was being played. Absolutely. So that game was going on, uh, and it was tied for a time being. So we needed to make sure we at least got a tie to get in. Um, so it was one of those that were, you know, you're doing the math and figuring out the points and knowing the bracket, trying to figure out, okay, if they tie, what happens? If they win, what happens? And if Canada, you know, so there were so many scenarios that could play out. So we went into the game, and we still kept a relatively conservative approach. Although, uh, even though we stayed in our block and stayed defensive, we played the block higher up the pitch, you know, maybe 35 yards out instead of top of the circle. Because we felt like we didn't have to drop as deep. They didn't have that kind of pace up front. And we, we felt like we could win the ball and maybe, you know, now you've only got 20 or 30 yards to go to, to get to goal instead of, you know, 50 yards to go to get to goal. So we played the block a little higher. Uh, but we 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 dodged a bullet really early. McCabe got a shot that just went wide, and really, I think out of memory, I, I think that was really their their best good chance. We had a really good chance in the first half with uh, Oshola that missed one just wide, uh, and in the second half we go in tied, and the other game was still tied up, so we needed to get at least a point. So it's one of those you, as a coach, you got to go. Do I just go for it? Because if we win, we win the group. Yeah, you don't have to worry about it. It doesn't regardless. matter. Mm -hmm. what, uh, doesn't matter in the other game. But then there's the other side to go. There's the other side is if you're sitting on the bench and you're going, you got a whole country behind you. Yeah. Just Everybody's watching and and don't blow yeah. it. You're exactly right because you go. If I could go for it and just put it all out and we lose, they get a lucky goal off a counter. Then we're going. People are going to go. Why did you go for it? All mm -hmm. you needed is a point. You know. Right. So we we took the conservative approach. And then um, about 20 minutes of the second half, we really played really well. The, about 20 minutes of the second half, and we were all over them. We hit the post a couple of times. And then we found out late in the game, I think with about 15 minutes left, that um, Australia had scored. So now we're going, great, let's still wait because the, the goal differential may come into play. Next thing you know, we needed, we needed it to be a two-goal differential, you know, before it didn't matter the result of our game. And then late in the game, they scored a second. And then we go, we got word and we go, okay, well, let's go for it. So now we're trying to, we're trying to push players forward. The hard part is in a stadium of 40,000 people, it's hard to get communicate without making substitutions. It's yeah. hard to communicate and get that out. And then as it ended up, I think Australia ended up winning like four, nothing, you know? So the result of our game at that point then didn't even matter. Even if we would have lost, we yeah. would have got in, but it, it wasn't until late in the game that they broke it open. So it was, yeah, there's a lot going on on the, on the bench. I mean, tournaments like that, it's, it's interesting because the first part is like a mini season in itself, Yeah, you know? And so, yes, you have to prepare, set your team up to win one game, but there's almost time to make up for mistakes here and there throughout yeah. those three games. Like, just kind of bringing it back to the first game you mentioned against Canada. They figured out how to break you down by, you know, switching it from center back to center back. Right. Beating that first line of pressure so that the center back would ad advance and create the numbers going forward in the right. middle. Right. So you had to deal with that by having the 10 step up, yep. pick up the center back at the line. Right. 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 And the six would push up. Right. And everyone would slide. So that was an adjustment you had to make there. Second, third game, you made certain adjustments. Seemed like it kind of went how you expected and didn't necessarily have to tweak things too much yeah. in the game. Yeah. But all that tied together now, it goes into knockouts. And right. it's one game. Yep. You've got to win it. Yeah. Everything goes out the window. You know, you can't 
you can't be married to a specific idea. You just have to actually like see how to win this one game. That's right. Yeah. So tell yeah. us about that game. Yeah, well, you know, now all of a sudden we find ourselves, like I said, we'd played the gold medalist and we'd played the host nation and we played Ireland. And now all of a sudden we, we get somebody like the European champions, right? England, we're the <laughs> European champions. So it was what I did when I, I, I watched the video of the game. I watched, um, you know, I, I had seen England in all of their games, you know, in the, in the group play. But once we knew that's who we were getting, then I really started to break and, and, and you know, and study them uh, before that match. And one of the things I noticed is they had played China in the last group game. And China played in a very low block. And it was very, as, as you would expect from an Asian country, they were very disciplined in their block, right? That's the one thing that they're known for is their discipline. And England just shredded them with their possession and just played around their block. Now, the one thing we debated about was they shredded China because of the athleticism of the English players were were also superior to the China Chinese players. And we thought how much of that shredding the block was because of mobility and agility and, you know, strength and quickness and that kind of thing, um, which we have more than China. Or was it just they play so often against teams that play in a low block because England's usually better than who they play, yeah. they, they just took it to pieces. Yeah. So when I watched the game, I thought, you know, between Millie Bright in the back and their other two center backs, and they had Kira Walsh that plays in as a holding mid, who's a, at Barcelona is a fantastic player, mm. and then their other mid uh, holding midfield players. So the their their back three, they had gone, they'd been playing a four back in their first two games, and they'd struggled to get wins. They really weren't playing like England should have played. So China, they played a, a three five two. So everything in that build up against China came from the three backs and their two holding mids. Now, they're very good up front, and they were good out wide with Bronze and Daly. Mm -hmm. And Lauren James, that plays for Chelsea, kind of played the attacking mid, so underneath underneath her two strikers, and she was fabulous against China, scored a couple of yeah. goals. Mm -hmm. Very, very good player. You know, Reese James' sister yeah. from, from Chelsea. Mm -hmm. is so, right. so uh, you, you look at it as a coach and you say, you do, to me, you do it one of two ways. You look at it and you say, how do we deal with the front line and, and their offensive power, right? So that's one way to approach the game. Or you look at it and say, can we eliminate the front line getting the service? Is there something we can do to say, don't let them have the ball as much instead of trying to solve it once they yeah. get the ball? Hmm. So I, we made this, I made the conscious decision to say, you know what? They're going to expect us to play in a block and play low like we have. It's a winner take all. Let's go after it. Yeah, let's go. go for it. So we're going to press our three forwards, are going to press their three backs, not give them time to dilly dally around and pick out whatever pass they want. And then we said, let's eliminate with our two attacking mids. You're locked onto their two holding so they can't play through them. So now if they were going to play, they were going to have to play long to their, yeah. to, to James and their two strikers. And athletically, we could deal with that. Mm -hmm. Right. So that was the game plan. And then I decided to man mark. Um, with our player Halamatu Ayendi, I said, "You man, Mark James, and just frustrate her everywhere she goes. You're there, right? And which is very old school because hardly any teams man Mark anymore, yeah. right? So even though we were pressing their back three and their holding mids, we were still kind of you know still playing that a little bit zonally. But when it comes in that you're pre in your zone, you're pressing it, right? But with Holly, we said." Man marker. Did you want your front three to show them a certain way, or what was the idea? There? We would try. So if we could get the ball out to, to say the right center back, 
then we would try to get it squeezed and pushed over in a way that we could keep them coming down that flank, right? Mm -hmm. And then what we did with our four backs is we said, the outside back just step up on the wide midfield player on that side. So if they came out their right side, our left back would step on to, you know, uh, Daly, mm -hmm. which was their right midfield player, and deal with her. And then our three backs would deal with their two forwards. And then Halamatu was eliminating James by man marking her. So we say we should still always have a numerical advantage. Yeah. And um, so it, it worked to a T because right from the kickoff, we were on the front foot. And honestly, at the end of the game, I think we outshot them like 20 to 12, you know, in, in the game. And we hit the post twice in the game or maybe even three times. Uh, first 15 minutes or so, our left back got, gets forward and hits the crossbar bounds around we come back second chance at it that she has to make us a diving save to keep it from going in like we were all over them we, yeah. and, and they they just weren't ready for it right mm -hmm. that not they have good players but they just weren't ready for us playing them that way mm -hmm. and luckily we stayed on the front foot the whole game and and um i think arguably could have most people could look at that objectively and say on the day, Nigeria were the better team. Mm -hmm. Now, a couple of things that happened in the game that we had to deal with as, it, as they grew back into the game a little bit is when we would go press on their three backs and their two holding mids, normally where the outside mids would be pushed higher in attack, you know, to get closer to the front line to give them wingers, they started bringing bronze and they started bringing bronze and daily back much deeper, closer to the back three. So our only concern became then if we're asking our outside back to go, that's 20 or 30 yards. They've got to go yeah. and leave the back line to go step on that player. So we really had to try to make some adjustments on that uh, on the fly because what was happening is as they would come out of their half, our outside back may be having to go 30 yards into their half to pick up the outside mid, and it just created a lot of gaps. So kind of on the fly, we had to get the message out had to get the message out to them is um, deep in their half, just let them have it. Okay. Right? And, and, and let's not disjoin our back four so much. But as they start to get closer to midfield, then we can start to, I, I, I use you the word, have, roll up to step, you know, to step okay. onto them. And still had to do that because if you're locking every other option, you don't want those two outside mids to get it free and be able to make the game. So luckily, our two outside players really – read the game well and didn't get caught very often, you know, out of position with them. And bronze and daily really weren't as much of a factor as they normally are. And, yeah. and, and we eliminated basically Russo and hemp up front. They didn't have much of the game like they had been having because they couldn't get service the way they wanted. And as, as it went late in the game, James got to a point where we were marking her so much she started leaving the forward line and going deeper into midfield and then deeper into the half to pick up the ball because she wasn't involved. And that's perfect. Yeah, we wanted to go in we wanted to go into their half yeah. and get it. Get get away from our backs and yeah. go deep. And and so and again, that was the game that late in the game she got frustrated and stomped on the back of that the was the one okay I was gonna and ask got, about that. and got yeah. ejected. So this is where this is where things really got interesting because it changed. As soon as she got ejected we were worse. And you think you're a man up, yeah. you know, you're going to be mm -hmm. better. It's like those moments you talked about. It was one again. of those yeah. moments. And How we actually, was left at this point? we had about 10 minutes left in regulation. And then we 
potentially had 30 more minutes, which we did have because it went to penalties. Mm -hmm. So we had 40 minutes to get something out of it with the man advantage. And we didn't and failed to do so and really failed to create anything really, really dangerous out of it. And this is where our lack of preparation, not having the five week camp, you never got to us. run that scenario. We never got to have it. Now, we had classroom sessions where yeah. we talked about man up, man down, goal up, goal down, late in the game. How do we adjust? And you talk through scenarios, but we never had time to train the actual scenario. So what happened is we'd been playing so many games off the counter. Then when we got the man advantage, well, now we, kept, we, we didn't know what to do. Yeah. We kept just kept playing long. And we switched to a three back. And, you know, played five so we could get keep the ball and get the ball wide, get service into the box. And, you know, that was the mindset. And it never happened because we just kept – we'd win it and then we'd try to go direct early and yeah. give it away. And, and they adjusted by just – now they went into a block. You know, they went into a 4-4-1 block, you know, just sitting in deep. And we, we just didn't do a good job mm. of handling – the man up advantage and, and of course now you know we lose in penalty kick so yeah. um this is where lack of you know things we try i've always tried to tell our federation is like like this is why it becomes so important that you have proper preparation like five weeks of camp we would have gone over every potential scenario and our players would have been prepared for that for sure. and it's one thing as you guys know is when you were playing for butch sitting in a classroom listening to it it's quite different than going on the field and actually having a chance 100%. to work on it and some players that's listening to it, you might pick it up. You might not mm. quite understand it, but you're not going to ask the question, and you just kind of go with it as he's talking. To, you know, so you don't really. Every player, player learns. Every player learns you different. Show them. It, in yeah. Those ways. You, you show them on a board. You show them in video, and then you do it on the field, and you actually walk this because some are visual. Some, you know, some need to actually do it, and and so it, it really and. In the long run, I almost wish he hadn't have got ejected and we could have kept playing kept 11 against 11 yeah. because we would have played our game. That's you know. what makes the game so exciting. But it, you know? It's, it's yeah. so unpredictable and, you know, it's, it sounds like you set your team up the right way. You got your tactics right. The game played out how you wanted it to. Everything yeah. was going the right way. The goals just wouldn't go, yeah. and, and you know, you end up going to penalties where anything can happen. Anything yeah. can happen. So it's... I was just going to expand on that by asking you, you know, there is like obviously a reflection process that you go through as a coach and that's important. Yeah. Is there anything that you think you would have done differently in that game? Yeah. I, I think at the end of the game, when we got, got ready to a point, um, and I made some changes once we went a man up getting into the extra time, I probably reflecting on it. I put in, I put in one of our players that has has historically been a goal scoring player for us, and played in two or three World Cups. And she wasn't playing as many minutes, but she was kind of like, uh, you know, she's that player you'll see every weekend in the Premier League game. That's kind of almost on their way out, but they're still good enough that keep scoring goals. They could, could score a goal in the right kind of moment. And I thought she could get us this goal. And, and listen, I'm not blaming anything on her by any means because she's been great for us. But I probably had a couple of younger players that I went back and I go, I did, second thought I'd have gone with one of them yeah. uh, because she really didn't do much for us. And she actually took our first penalty and missed. Mm -hmm. And interesting enough, when we're in this circle huddled up before penalties, the last thing she says to the group is, just get it on frame. And right? she just get your penalty didn't on, frame. Get on frame. And what does she do? She stepped up one, missed yep. the whole goal. Yeah, mm -hmm. missed the target. So I would have done that. And then our second selection was a bag. 
and her penalties, she made, you know, practice six or seven days in advance. You're practicing penalties every day, you know, that kind of thing. And she's always making them. But all she was, she was a power player. She's not a finesse. Yeah. So she just runs up and smacks it. And it's just too hard. And unless it's too close to the keeper, it's just yeah. too hard to save. And I'm always leery of that because I never know where the ball's going to go, you know. And I, But she was she was one. We were documenting all of our penalty takers. And she was right there in your five. If you picked your five best based on what we saw in training for six or seven days prior, and when we got in there, it was kind of like, okay, let her take one. And, of course, she skies it over the crossbar. And I, I, I looked at that and I go, you know what? I, I should have put a player in that's more, you know. And and so there's a couple things. A coach, you that's something that you can live with because you always have those battles with yourself. You know, especially with in that situation where those players, I mean, you haven't spent a whole lot of time with them. You right. haven't seen them in in every kind of battle exactly that, that, that you could be in right? right so you know because you haven't seen them in all the possible situations it's yeah. hard to know who would be the best for that specific it, one it, you're yeah. exactly you're exactly right and and then all of this to me then goes and it's a reflection back on us our federation not letting us to prepare the way we needed to prepare mm -hmm. and you know the ironic thing of it is that it was the best world cup nigeria has had now they went deeper. They went one more round back in '99, but that's when they uh, there weren't as many teams in the World Cup, right? And uh, but they had lost games in the group, and they had just got through, right? Yeah. And so, uh, but when you take a step back, I went from looking at it a week before we go to Australia and going, we could get crushed in these games. We literally could lose four or five yeah. goals against that Two competition out of the three. with our lack of preparation. To going from that thought to going, we actually in 90 minutes of play didn't lose a game. Yeah. We had three clean sheets. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we beat the, I mean, we, we got points out of the gold medalist. We got, you got it, the most. From we that we got the most. Yeah. I mean, taking the European champions to penalty kicks mm -hmm. and like, I, it was, it was amazing what those players did and how they responded and how they bought into what we were trying to do. And so much credit goes to them. You know, we, uh, and, and, and Kyle uh, Quigley, my assistant, you know, he was great because it's always nice to have somebody you can really bounce ideas off of and you trust and you know you have the best interests. And, um, you know, so a lot of things really fell in place for us, quite frankly. Um, but I look at it and I feel like we deserve to have some things fall our way yeah, definitely. for the difficulties we faced leading mm. up to it and, and, yeah. and the lack of support and, you know, mm. things that we had to really, you know, we're, we're looking at, in the 10 days, I'm looking in every other country had been at least 30 days before in camp, Long training, training camps. Playing. And when we got to Australia, all the other teams were playing other teams in the tournament mm -hmm. as exhibitions before the tournament started. You know, Germany's playing Zambia and, and everybody's playing each other. We got a, in that 10 day window, we got an exhibition game against a local semi-pro team. And that was <laughs> it. And we won like eight one and they got a late penalty just probably the only time they crossed midfield and yeah. it's just the kind of work you want. No, not at all. We didn't, we didn't yeah. get, you know, we it didn't, it didn't challenge us, didn't answer yeah. any questions for us at all, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's just, it, it's almost in some ways a, a miracle that we, we, mm -hmm. we accomplished what we yeah. did. You have to be satisfied yeah. with the work that you did. Yeah. I'm very, I'm very happy with it. And the irony of this guys, to give you a little backstory is the, uh, the summer before the world cup was our African cup of nations our mm -hmm. championship right and in that tournament um 
that's how you qualify for the Olympics. And then, so our quarterfinal game against Cameroon and, and AFCON, um, we had to win that game to qualify for the Olympics. If, if not, that would automatically qualify us. If we would have lost that game, then we would have to do a play-in, mm-hmm. you know, later. And so we beat Cameroon and got in. So in the quarterfinals of AFCON, so we got in. Everybody's happy. Everybody's good. The very next game is the semifinals of AFCON. Now, keep in mind, Nigeria's won the African Cup of Nations, I think, nine or ten times. Completely dominant Mm. compared to the other African countries in this competition. So the expectation is that you're just winning. You show up and you win, right? And we all know that's not the way it is because now Morocco's put a lot of money into their women's program. South Africa of the last four or five years has put a lot of money into their women's program. So other nations, African nations, are starting to get really invested in this. And so we're, long story short, but we're playing Morocco in the semifinal in Morocco, packed stadium, 45,000 people. And we're in the match. We're in full control. We're 0-0 at half, but we're controlling the game. They're not, after the first 10 minutes where they had a couple of chances, we settled down and the rest of the half was us, right? We just, all we hadn't done is hadn't got our goal yet. We come out in the second half and literally five minutes in the second half, uh, Halamatu Iendi went in with a tackle with one of their Moroccan players. And you know how you step on somebody's foot, mm. you know? So they're both going for the same ball, but she gets there a little bit late, steps on her foot, immediate red card. Yep. She's out of the game. We score a goal, a man down. We go mm. up one. They score a goal a few minutes later to tie it as we're a man down. Then five minutes within the first red card, uh, uh, Rashidat Ajabadi uh, did the same thing. Step on a toe, immediate red card. Jeez. So now we have 35 minutes left in regulation, and we're two players mm-hmm. down, and we're tied 1-1. And um, I'm trying to figure out very quickly, you know, on the fly, you you got to make change. you got to adjust yeah. and figure out what you're doing. And so my assistant at the time was Lauren Gregg, who had been working with me for a couple of years with Nigeria, and I tell Lauren, hey, go make this sub. So long story short, sub I made, the adjustments we made, it worked. We got through 30 more minutes. We got through 30 minutes of extra time. I don't know a men or women's team that I can think of in an international competition under that kind of pressure where you need to get something out of the game yeah. that lasted 60 minutes, two players down. Mm-hmm. I can't think of a game. No, yeah, it's I can't so think long. of a game. Yeah. And we got to penalties and we lost in penalties. Mm-hmm. But I walk away going probably our best job coaching that we've done with Never them, done. you know, and I'm feeling good. Um, I tell you that only because at that time, then since we lost and we didn't, um, we didn't win, then the press has turned on me. The Nigerian public has turned. I'm now the worst coach ever. I mean, like I'm just getting obliterated in the media and I always protected the Federation. I never, I never spoke out. There were a lot of things that went on, I, you know, not to get into all of that with you now, but it, I'm saying, I'm telling you that just to go how quickly things change from probably being the most hated man in Nigeria to now all of a sudden it's completely changed yeah. at the World Cup. Mm-hmm. The media's now behind you. you got to keep this guy. He should be coaching our men's team because mm-hmm. the men's teams didn't make the World <laughs> yeah. Cup. Um, the public's Good. behind. We wanted to go, you know, I might consider it. Yeah, yeah I may consider it. Um but he, uh, everything completely changed, and it was all from the work we did in the World Cup. So that's probably what I'm, I'm most proud of, and 
you know, now I'll continue to take them through Olympic qualifying. And, and if we're fortunate to qualify, then through the Olympics this summer and then be done with them, you know, and okay. or wherever we don't qualify, yeah. be done, you know. Right. So that's kind of the take next challenge. Take them. take them as far as we can get. Yeah. Yeah. And then then we would have, if, if fate's in our hands and we, we get there, then we would have got to the World Cup and the Olympics in the same year. And it's been three or four Olympics since they've been. Because they only take one one yeah. team from Africa, mm -hmm. so uh, you know, hopefully we can do that. Nice. Yeah. So, what are your cycles now? Do you have camps periodically, or? Well, what we'll do is we had we've we've had a couple of qualifiers already, and now in February we'll have a ten day window, mm -hmm. FIFA window, that we'll go play uh, Cameroon. Okay. We have to win that home and away leg, and if we do that, then most likely the next round we'd play South Africa, kind of based on who they're playing. I think they'll mm -hmm. win. Yeah. And then we have to be south africa uh to get in to the olympics in a awesome. home and away and that would be probably in april so yeah. we'll either know we're in, we're still playing at, after february or you know or we're, we're done because we're out of the olympics interesting. yeah interesting yeah it's so much so much that goes into the behind the scenes especially on the, the women's side that i think the men don't have to deal with as much i think a lot of that i mean has been highlighted obviously with you know the way that the U.S. team puts it out there right. and stands up for for the, the the rest of the world, really. Right, right. Um, and I don't know if you saw the the Netflix documentary that they put out recently. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, yeah it's a good yeah. one. I would recommend it. But yeah, it showed a little bit more of that as well. I guess I wanted to you know hear from you because you were there. You know, you saw all the teams like we we all see that the gap is really closing or has closed up yeah. between the rest of the world and the U.S. Yeah. Um, Resources are, you know, starting to develop with other nations as well, which yeah. is helping us also. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on just where the U.S. team is at and 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 uh, how the game is going to continue to progress on the media? Well, I, I think I think what we're seeing now in the last World Cup probably will be remembered more in that way of where more of the emerging countries started to have success. Mm -hmm. You know, the Philippines and you know, uh, South Africa and Morocco, you know, first time World Cup for Morocco and they get out of their group, you know, and, 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 and be Germany. And, you know, like, so, so I think it shows that the world is almost hate to use the word catching up to us because I almost think it should be, the U S should be more introspective in my opinion, yes. when they're evaluating the program and not say what they're catching or what they're doing, like focusing on, how we continue to say to be the best in the world, like analyze what we're doing right and wrong in the U S yes. you know, and I think it's just yeah. the vibe that I get yeah. like in interviews. It's almost like they're patting everyone on the back, like telling them good yeah. job, but yeah. not looking at themselves to see what they could be. Doing. I, I think that's exactly what needs to be done. I hope Emma can make some of those changes for the U S team. Now. I, I think she's a good hire for us for, yeah. for that reason. But I, um, I hear that all the time. Uh, the world's catching up. The world's catching up. Well, what's happening is they're just now starting to make more investment. Yeah. I, I tell you, when we went to Morocco to play, we played, we trained in their national training center for their national teams. And I'm telling you guys, it's better than any U.S. facility mm -hmm. we have for our national teams. It's better than the only place I haven't been is St. James Park in England. I haven't seen that mm -hmm. national training center, but it's better than everything else out anything there. I've yeah. seen. And I mean, it's amazing. And as an African nation, I'm looking at it and I'm trying to talk to our federation and going, here's our national training center. And we have some fields that are dirt and yeah. 
and not, and, I mean, and this is what our national team's trained. This is what they're doing. This is the investment. If we're going to stay on top, mm. don't just think because we've always been there. We're, we're gonna always going to stay there. You know, like we got to, the, the hard part with some of these emerging nations is the ones that are catching up and that are doing better jobs now, Spain, the Netherlands, you know, all, all those teams that over the last couple of cycles are just getting better and better and better. It's they're investing in it. Mm. Right. And that's where I think it takes nations like, especially some of the African nations and some of the Caribbean nations, things you, you've really got to have people at the top that understand let's don't operate based on the here and now, but let's put a plan in place. That's going to get us into the 20. Now the, probably the, the 2031, world, every, the 2031 yeah. world cup. Let's don't like, if we don't get in, in 2027, that, that don't be a fault. And, and what happens is when I coached Trinidad Tobago, it was the same, or he even here at Nigeria, they don't think about the World Cup till it's the year six of, months yeah. or the year of mm -hmm. the World Cup. Now all of a sudden, oh, it's a World Cup year, so let's let's go. And then hope we do what we've always been able to do. Instead of going, you know what? We're not we're not gonna be good enough right now to win a World Cup. We have to be realistic and understand that. But we've probably got a 12, 13 year old player playing that two World Cups from now, we can win it with that that group so you have to have a vision to go what do we have to put in place to develop the next generation of players to come in and then hope you do well in between but not put all of your marbles in. and that would be the thing with trinidad is they wouldn't put any money into it teams wouldn't train year round they wouldn't have competitions year round and then as you get closer to the world cup okay now we'll start having yeah. camps and now we'll start and it just doesn't work that way because teams like the u.s and germany and france they're playing year round. They're investing. Yeah. The players are getting paid, and they're they're doing it year round. And 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 the rest of us, you know, in the countries that we're coaching, are it's just kind of year to year. They they don't have that vision right. to see it, you know, farther. So I think with the U.S. going back to your original question, I think I think the look is people are worried that the rest of the world is catching up to the U.S. Well, the rest of the world is getting better in women's football. Mm -hmm. It may be that the U.S. is kind of staying where we've been, always, yeah. but just everybody else is kind of yeah. putting more yeah. investment in now. So now, then, what the step is, then, then how do we, how do we take the next step? Then how do we get even better to stay above that competition? And to me, it starts with reevaluating and reassessing our youth, the way our youth soccer is structured and set up. Is ECNL and GA? the best avenues for our youth players to be playing? Is there a different pathways or something we got to do differently to take more management control over our youth system? Because right now the youth system is independent of U.S. soccer. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, they don't, U.S. soccer doesn't govern mm -hmm. what they do. Uh, in other countries, they do mm -hmm. govern it. It, it, yeah. it. It's, you know, too much money made in club soccer now. Yeah. The, the different, whether it's MLS next or whatever it is, um, there's too much money being made to collectively come together and say, how do we structure something that's for the betterment for player development model instead of just worrying about what you have and what you have right. with your, your clubs or your teams. So I think all of that has to be inspected and looked at. I think the way we select our national team players right now on the women's side, I don't know how they're doing it with the men's, but right now everything's done through kind of a scouting system. They just hire a network of scouts. And to be honest with you, a lot of the scouts, no offense, but aren't successful, mm. highly qualified soccer people that have a history of seeing things at the highest level, seeing, seeing the qualities. And and then how much 
input are they having with our national team coaching staff to go, I want you to look for this kind of player. Don't find me necessarily the the, the, the best player. Find me the best player that play, can play in this system, mm -hmm. you know, in this structure. So I just think it's it's not only about our senior team. I think it's about everything below it yeah. and building. And I mean, I think that's why, like, when you look at Spain right now, coming off their two wins, it's yeah. like, it seems like that whole team has been together for the most part they since have. those, like, U14s and, all the way and through. And you go, look, all their youth teams are playing the same way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, you look at our under-20s and our U17s, it's it's playing a system or, or a game model the way that coach of that age mm -hmm. group wants to play. It doesn't necessarily follow what... And, and the way the players can play. And the, exactly. So that's one thing. I think it's interesting that you say that because even in the documentary, you know, there's lots of interviews with players and they say a lot. So to me, it's actually a little bit surprising how much they kind of indirectly throw Vladko under, under the, the bus. bus. Yeah. And, and so, you know, a lot of the comments they make are, you know, just with the way things were, the energy was different. We just show up and we train and then we come to the games and we just, we just play, you yeah, know, we yeah, just play. Yeah. And it's like, okay. Yeah. But also you have to play a certain way and you have to do that together. And especially when you're playing against teams that are at or above your level. You right. Know? Right. And so he's, he obviously was attempting to implement some kind of tactics in the team. Right. And it seemed like the players just could not comprehend it. Yeah. Right? Not at yeah. all. And that to me seemed like it was more coming from, the more veteran players. Yeah, yeah. But to your point with the youth players coming up, I think that there are actually a lot of really quality, like women's players that are mm -hmm. like younger they're, coming up. Like, yeah. for example, there's a player from Dallas who's breaking into the national team. Jade, Jade Shaw. Shaw. I, I know Jade since she was 12 years old and she, yeah. she would have been called in much earlier if I were coaching. Yeah. Because also she understands the game. That's right. She yeah. understands yeah. movement, space, yeah. you know, yeah. how to control the tempo. Yeah. Like, so. And and that's what you don't see in a lot of those players. Just one speed, right? Go, yeah. And, and yeah. you you can't you can't just do that. Yeah, not at all. I, I think it's uh, anybody that thinks we don't have the talent to continue to win World Cups is wrong. We no, have 100%. the talent. To your yeah. point, there's a great young generation of coming up that should be in. I think the other thing that changed a little bit that people in this day and age don't want to really talk about, but I think one thing that's changed too is from. The 99 team that won the World Cup up till now, the players, just like society, have changed because now all of them are getting their own brand. Mm -hmm. They're out branding they're on social media. They're doing TV commercials. They're things that Mia Hamm didn't have at the time or Julie Fowley. It wasn't there. Right. So, so they're out doing grunt work and shaking hands and promoting the game just to get a league started. Yeah. These players have it, and it's handed to them, and they got more power and more control. And I think what happens is – I think those players themselves, I've heard them putting blame on Vladko too. And, you know, there's, there's probably always a little bit of it, both sides that, you know, maybe there's things he could have done better or not. I don't know. We weren't there. Uh, but I think players also have to take Seemed some like responsibility. Seemed like a couple of those games, he definitely could have made some. I, I think 100%. substitutions and things. Yeah. Made, yeah, caught him. And, and whether it was the moments were like too definitely big. Definitely not like, you know, yeah. backing him. But right. I felt that. I, know, I agree. Like I, you said, it could I, I agree. I, I think so. But I think the players also have to take some responsibility. And I, I think this more recent squad that we had at this World Cup and even the last World Cup is sometimes I felt like they were more worried about their brand or their mm -hmm. political statements or trying to represent a cause instead of going, wait, you're a football player. Yeah. Just come yeah. in and focus on doing well, Yeah, because if you win every, if you win it, then right. you can do that you stuff You can do later. that. Then yeah, you're going to yeah. get the marketability mm -hmm. and you're going to do those things. And I think, I think our team has gotten away from what's really made us special. Yeah. 
with the, the first generation of players that have been our national team players. So there's a little bit of that going on too. I think Emma can rein some of that in. I think she'll, I think she'll have a, 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 firm, a much more firm fist on things. And, and I think, um, you know, I, I mean, at the end of the day, it's still a player's game. And at the end of the day, you know, we had people that we've run across at the convention asking Kyle is here, my assistant with me and, and, and asking us, well, you know, well, you, you want to play in this block and, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of, you have to, you you have to want to run a lot in 90 minutes and, and not have the ball. And of course, in my mind, I'm going, you don't understand the block because yeah. you're really running less. You're running all over you're, the you're field. You're running yeah, less. If, if you're stretched out, is... you're running all over yeah. the field, chasing the ball. But if you're in this block, you run less. And that's yeah, just side part of the purpose. The mm-hmm. But at any yeah. rate, you know, telling them and, 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 and talking about that a little bit, I think it, it's a, uh, a little bit of a lack of, just understanding, yeah, right. you know, of, of, of what you're trying to accomplish. And, but the questions would come, well, yeah, we can do that. But what if, what if it's your star player doesn't want to do it? And, and it's, you said, it's an easy solution. Yeah. Don't play the player. Exactly. Put somebody on the field that's going to do the work. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the bottom line. And that's the end of the day. That's, that's the biggest motivating factor, isn't it? I'm going to set you out then, you know, and then all of a sudden you either go, okay, I'm, I don't like it here. I'm going to you put the work in. So the, at the end of the day, as a coach, I think sometimes we get caught up in whether it's youth soccer or whatever. Think about your training set. And I don't mean you guys individually, mm-hmm. but in general, think about our training sessions with our youth teams, for example. Your best players, you, you, you actually, if you evaluate who you're coaching, a lot of time you're coaching your better players. Right. The ones that need it are the exactly. not your better player, more, right? Yeah. You, 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 the other ones are self-motivated and they're doing the things, right? And so you need uh, the bottom half that you're really spending a lot of time coaching them to make them better, to get their confidence up. But I think a lot of times we're now in a generation that we're afraid to get a player to do what is asked of them and yeah. hold them accountable for it, right? It's almost like, well, but she scores goals for me. Well, okay. But if she's not doing the job for you when you really need it, team. exactly, then what you're doing is letting her get away with something you're not letting the rest of the team get away with. So put Parker rear in on the bench and she'll change, you know. So I think for me, that's that's the, the motivating factor. You know, at the end of the day, you still have that ability to go, you're not getting the job done. So you're not playing today, you know. Yeah. And um, so I think it, it, we, we got to, as coaches, we're still the coach, mm-hmm. you know. So we still can't worry about what parents are saying or what my boss is at the Federation. Like the job is. My job is to go get results, especially at a World Cup level. Mm-hmm. You know, doing it in college is a little bit different, but I'm still know that I'm going to get fired if I don't get results with my college team. Eventually, maybe not as quick, but you're yeah. going. It's going to happen. So, at the end of the day, you got to look at it in a way that my job is to make them better, and by me letting them, any player get away with something that they shouldn't be getting away with on the field because they're not willing to put the work in to do it, is then I'm not doing that. I'm not coaching that player. Yeah. So sometimes you have to get reeled in a little bit and woken up a little bit, yeah. you know. They got to earn that too. Yeah, they got to earn your attention. Yeah, and uh, you know, you you get what you deserve. Well, to the rest of the players, to your point with Vodko and some of the decisions and lack of substitutions in some of the games, those players that sit on the bench are wondering why. Yeah, because he didn't make the changes, right? So they maybe they're wondering why, like. I can go in and do this job and she's not getting it done. So you have to think big picture of not just the players that are playing, yeah. but mm. keeping your, your, your reserve players engaged. And again, that for me, is not a criticism of Vlodko. I know him very well. He's a good friend. 
I think he does a really good job as a coach. I think sometimes it, it, it just doesn't work. You know, mm -hmm. I've been in a coaching environment in Houston that just didn't work after a few years. It wasn't working. Right. And it was time for me to move on. It wasn't a matter of, he's not a good coach. He yeah. just wasn't working there. I didn't yeah. have, mm -hmm. for whatever reasons, whether it's resources and support of general managers or presidents or, or I just wasn't doing the, a good job of coaching that team. You look at it and you look at all the top premier league coaches they're, they bounce from how many times has Mourinho been fired? Oh, you know, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, it, yeah. It, 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 that's just part of it. So when you're coaching at that level, you're going to move. But is yeah, it, for uh, sure. I think there's a quote. He saw Lampard or something in a, in a bar or a restaurant one yeah. time after he had just gotten sacked from Chelsea. He's yeah. Like, Congratulations! You're finally a, a real manager. That's it, <laughs> and you're right. You're you until you've been fired. You're not a manager. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. you you mm -hmm. have to go through that. And sometimes the environment, and, and maybe that's what it was with Vodko. Maybe it was just for whatever reason the, the players that he had and the timing. Maybe the chemistry. We don't. None of us know what was going yeah, on behind the scenes with the team and the chemistry of the team. So maybe it just was a no win situation at that point. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but I do think you know it's. You got to be in it. I tell you, it's easy to sit back and be critical. We all do it. I sit on my, I'm a big man, you fan. I sit on my chair Same every here. weekend. I go, what is he doing? Same why, is, why is he playing Rashford? He's doing no work yep. defensively, mm -hmm. you know, and, and yet I'm not there every day, you know, yeah, yeah. I'm not coaching that team. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, so we're all guilty of it. It's easy from afar, yeah. but, but I tell you, you learn so much getting into it. It's just little things people don't think about. Yeah. But as a college coach or a club coach or whatever, when you're playing, even on the biggest stage, I can always get information. Even if I'm playing in front of six, 7,000 people with my college team, mm -hmm. I can get information in easy to my players from the sideline. You can't do that Not at the at international all. level. If it's a, if there's 40,000, 50,000 people. There's no chance your players are going to hear you. So these are little things you don't think yeah. about, but you're going like, how do I get this message mm -hmm. in to my team to get to everybody else? And even if I can get a, pull a player close to come over and tell that player something, she still has to get the message to the other, yeah. you know, 10 players. In there. And it's, it's, yeah. it's not, these things aren't easy and they all, all, they all can affect, you know, outcomes of games. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you're, you're right. I mean, and, and I think maybe even, fans of Nigeria or people that just watched all the games and watched them closely had their own opinion about, you know, the, the way things took place and, and about your performance as a coach, but you providing us these insights in your preparation, thought process, adjustments that you made, obviously paints things a lot more clearly. And right. until people really understand that side of it, yeah. you can't make those judgments. Yeah, no, you can't. Yeah. I, I learned real fast when I started coaching the dash, um, and then obviously, you know, with Nigeria in particular, you just learn, you just stick to your job, keep your focus on what you can control. And you almost get to a point where you just don't read media and you don't read yeah. stories and you yeah. just almost have to kind of stay out of that because, uh, if you're not strong in your convictions and things, you can be convicted, you mm -hmm. can be, you can get, you can get changed, you know, mm -hmm. going, God, everybody thinks I should be doing this or everybody thinks like, you have to just go like, you know, I'm stuck. This yeah. is the way we. We need to play. I, I know it's the right way, and I got to do it this way. And you got to remember what got you, you there. Be strong. Yeah. yeah. You just turn into a sheep if you start yeah. following yeah. all the yeah. opinions. You yeah. Know, and, yeah. And that's where you lose your uniqueness. Yeah. As a coach, like the only only coaches you remember are the ones that have some sort of unique personality yeah. or way of doing things. Yeah. You know exactly. You know. So again, thank you. Really appreciate you sitting down with us. Oh. We went. 
Longer than expected, yeah. but it felt hey, like yeah. time flew by. It, it did, felt it like we've only been on ten minutes. So really good. That uh, was the first time we've had like a proper, full-on mm-hmm. tactical discussion, yeah. which I yeah. thoroughly yeah. enjoyed. Yeah. So this yeah. was very fun for me. Very and uh, yeah, it was a pleasure meeting you, you in person. Too. You too. Looking forward to building this relationship going forward. Well, you bet. I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to help you anytime. Thanks uh, for having me on. And of course. I love hearing your story of being players and how you're doing this and yeah. you're coaching and mm-hmm. you're doing everything to continue uh, improving the game in the States. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's kind of like as an older coach now, it's it's good to see young coaches yeah. like yourself get out and you really giving back to the game that provided you guys so much. And that's what we need. So I always feel good that we're mm-hmm. in good hands when we when we, we meet people like you. For so sure. thank you so much for having me. You, you yeah. bet. Perfect. All right. Thank, thank you, guys. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. That was fantastic.